This episode is brought to you by Ursa Minor Outfitters. Folks, I'm absolutely in love with my Loon mug. It's handmade. It's an absolute piece of art. Whether it's at the office or at the house, people keep asking to check it out. If you're not a Loon fan, they also have other beautiful mugs for wildlife fans of moose, bears, and eagles. They specialize in products highlighting the outdoors and local pride through quality design by local artists. They've even started expanding into items beyond mugs, like apparel, dog accessories, and soon candles and more. They also try to partner and highlight other small businesses and in some cases forgo profits in lieu of charitable giving to help their community such as the dog rescue. So check them out ursaminoroutfitters.com and enter promo code HIKESMIKES10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. And for our four-legged hiking partners they also have a portable silicone dog bowl and also sweet over-the-collar dog bandana. Go check them out ursaminoroutfitters.com and don't forget to enter promo code HIKESMIKES10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. episode of the Hikes and Mikes podcast. I'm your host Ivan and I'm excited to share this new season of the podcast with you. With both fall and winter arriving in the Pacific Northwest, it's time to store the mobile recording studio. This season we'll be switching things up and interviewing some of my favorite hikers that I follow on Instagram virtually. We're following a similar format to season one where the first part of the episode focuses on the guest and their hiking adventures and we're still going to end each episode with a speed round of this or that questions all related to hiking. We have another great guest who's traveling the country and hiking to some amazing places along the way. Her name is Lil. You can follow her on Instagram at the good flaw. I had a great time chatting with Lil on this episode. We learn about what it's like to hike in and around Michigan, visiting Salem, Massachusetts during Halloween, and her special four-legged hiking partner, Little Man. Without further ado, let's jump into this episode with our guest, Lil. Welcome everyone to the latest episode of the Hikes and Mikes podcast. We got another exciting guest here on the podcast today. We have Lil from the Midwest, but she's also a fellow nomad. I'm really excited to talk to her about her adventures and her rig and just some of the hiking that she's been able to experience. Welcome Lil to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Now for listeners, Lil, can you kind of give a little background on how you started hiking and how long you've been hiking? Yeah, so I started hiking when I was little. My family always went up north for camping. And up in northern Michigan, there's always beautiful places to go and see beautiful waterfalls, campgrounds, all of that. So I started hiking when I was little, usually just around the campgrounds because there was huge forestries around there. So um, my mom and I would go out and we would spend hours out there to the point where we would get lost and then have to have my grandpa come and find us in the car. And so I got started hiking like pretty regularly when I was like 13-ish. And then once I got into college and even out of college, that's when I really picked up on it and started doing it a lot more, (laughs) a lot more. And being originally from Michigan, I feel like Michigan and just the Midwest in general sometimes doesn't get the attention that, you know, the Southwest or the West Coast, but you guys, especially having the Great Lakes, you know, right next to you, have some beautiful state parks um, along just the, the lakes and shores, but also inland. What's it like hiking in Michigan? And maybe what are one or two of your favorite hiking spots in the state? Yeah. So Michigan is so underrated. It's beautiful there. There's so many lakes. I mean, obviously we have the Great Lakes and those are beautiful. They're all different, but there's also so many like inland lakes too, like little lakes. I think everyone I know has a boat on like a little lake in their neighborhood. So that's like the thing to do there, but it's a beautiful state. Um, The fall there is, you can't find better fall colors there, but my favorite hiking spots are usually we go camping in Mackinac City, which is up at the top of the thumb right before you go into the Northern Peninsula. And so we always go hiking there and at Wilderness State Park, they have miles of hiking trails. And so they're definitely one of my favorite hiking spots just because you could spend days on their trails and still keep going. Um, You can walk into Mackinac City and it would probably take you a few days, but it's just so beautiful there. And then going up to Northern Michigan, 
there's like a strip of waterfalls. You have to drive in between them, but there's a hike to get to each one. So like last year in August, we went to four or five waterfalls up at Lake Superior, which is the very top of northern Michigan. And each waterfall had a little hike to get there and hikes surrounding it. So like you could hike to the waterfall and then you could hike around all of it. And we actually ended up finding this little like secluded beach where you could jump off the rocks and jump into Lake Superior, which is definitely the coldest of the Great Lakes. Uh, (laughs) It was freezing in August. It was so cold. Oh, man. But we did this hike and we found this little beach and there were quite a few other people there um, that were locals and they were all jumping off the rocks and so we jumped off the rocks and it was just a blast but we never would have found it just on our own so it's kind of the joys of hiking in Michigan you never really know what you're gonna find having such a a long shoreline I imagine there's those type of little coves all over the place that you might not see anybody else at if you hike into them right yeah something I highly recommend is it takes a long time. But if you drive around the whole upper peninsula of Michigan, you see the most beautiful views. You find the coolest places and it's just so, I don't know what the right word is. I want to use just so Northern. Um, like it's in the winter, they ride um, snowmobiles around. They have a four-wheeler track along the side of the road all over up there because people ride four-wheelers to get to other places there instead of cars. It's just such a cool place. So I highly recommend if you ever are planning a trip to Michigan to go into the northern Michigan and, you know, try and drive around the whole upper peninsula. It's really pretty. It's beautiful, especially like, I mean, any season, but especially in the summer. And Lil, you have a unique home base for your adventures where it's not necessarily a city or state or a region, but it's wherever you decide to drive and set up. Can you share with the listeners a little bit about how you became a full-time RVer? Yeah. So I moved into, or we moved into the RV back in May of 2020. So it's still kind of new, but we've gotten to see so many amazing things and go to so many great places. We got into it because I had recently quit one of my jobs. My boyfriend was working from home and we were living in Florida and our lease was about to end and we were like, well, we could move back to Michigan, but we could also move back to, we lived in Pennsylvania for a while and it's beautiful there as well. Could move back to Pennsylvania. We could move to Salem, Massachusetts. We could move to Colorado and we were just having such a hard time picking where we wanted to move because up until that point, we were moving every year, every six months and it was exhausting. I mean, moving an entire like two bedroom apartment or house moving is exhausting. It's expensive to move. So we just kept rattling for like months. We were trying to figure out where we wanted to go and like live for a while and move into like a house or something a little bit more permanent. And, you know, I kept joking around that we should just buy an RV and live out of that. And then we can live wherever we want. And then one day, I guess one weekend, my boyfriend was like, well, if you want to move into an RV so bad, let's go look at some. And I was like, no, because then we're going to buy one and we're not ready. We don't know all the things yet. And he was like, no, no, it'll be fine. Let's just go look at them and we'll just look. Of course we get there and then we find the one that we wanted. And like we looked at a couple and then we're like, wow, this one's great. We love this one. And then they were like, okay, so do you want to like write a deal now? And we we're like, no, we're not ready. Like we have to sell my car first. And then we had to figure out what we're doing with his car. And they're like, oh, well, you can trade your car in. And we're like, what? <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, you can trade in anything that has like a VIN number. We took in a boat last week. Like somebody traded in their boat for an RV. And it was just so funny. And so they made us a great deal on my car and we left without my car. And (laughs) we ended up buying the RV. And about two weeks later, we went and signed the paperwork and we're like, man, what did we do? (laughs) And then all the, and then we started planning. We're like, okay. I mean, we had some plans in place. We had budget, budgeted and stuff like that, but definitely weren't as prepared as we could have been. But it makes for a great story. You know, we just kind of dove into it head first and never looked back. So how awesome. And can you share a little bit about, about your rigs and, and how you kind of came to choosing the RV that you did? Yeah. So We kind of think of it as our starter home. At the time, didn't have a lot of money to spend on it. Neither of us have ever lived in an RV. We obviously, we have never lived in an RV. Um, My boyfriend, he had campers growing up, so he knew a lot about them. He came from a family of six, so there was a bunch of them, and they used to go camping all the time as their family vacations. My family used to go camping all the time too. We usually stayed in tents most of the time until my grandparents got older, and then they got like a smaller camper. 
both had a little bit of experience, but we never had been in something this big. We thought about doing a van, but with my boyfriend being in, in the tech business, he needed like an office space. He needed multiple monitors. He needed all of his tech stuff. So the van life wouldn't work for us. So for our RV, we really looked at prices because we couldn't spend a fortune on it. It's not like getting a mortgage. I mean, it kind of is, but you don't get as good of rates. We wanted something somewhat inexpensive. We have a very, a decent sized dog, a large dog. And so we couldn't have anything too confined. You had to have space to move around. So we didn't want an island because of that. And there was a couple other things that we put into consideration. But really, like when we went to look at it, we just wanted something that was bright on the inside. We didn't want like the wooden dark features. We're not really a wood style people. We wanted something with a lighter interior to make it brighter. We didn't want an island in there. And we wanted to make sure that we had enough space for my boyfriend to have his office and for me to also be able to work remotely. So we ended up getting one that has a twin. Well, it had like a mini bedroom in the back and it had a fold out queen size mattress and two bunk beds and a little cupboard. It's small. I mean, it's not the biggest, but it's like for kids. And so he ended up taking all of that out and then building like a bench bed. That's like a twin bed that lifts up. So he has storage under there and there's also a little bed back there. And then he has his whole office back there. So he has multiple monitors, all of his wiring, all of his work stuff, everything back there because we took out everything, the whole kids stuff that was back there. But when we were looking, we wanted to make sure that he had an office with a door that closed and he could have his space. Other than that, that was really the biggest requirement was what has something in it that we can renovate into an office? Because at the time we couldn't find one in our price point that had an office in it. And then we wanted to make sure that we had enough storage. So in the front, there's like a bunch of storage. There's storage under our bed in our bedroom. So we lift that up and there's all storage under there. And then we also have storage under our seats at the kitchen table. Um, So like this lift up (laughs) and there's like storage under there, which I think is so cool. (laughs) Um, (laughs) When they like lift it up, they're like, oh, check this out. And they like lifted up our like kitchen chairs and the seats lifted up. And we're like, oh my gosh. Or like my phone. (laughs) Like this is the coolest thing ever. There was only like a couple things that we were like, we need to make sure we have these things. And then, you know, we kind of just went with our price point after that. But we ended up going with a Forest River impression. Like the most common one is a Forest River, like Salem edition. But those ones all just seemed too small. So we ended up going a little bit bigger than that. Our next one, we've already picked it out. We really want Montana next. (laughs) The only issue is we also looked at the feet length. Because some campgrounds Mm. will only let you have like a max of 40 feet. And so all of the toy haulers are either 40 feet or bigger, uh, or at least Mm -hmm. the ones that we looked at. So we wanted to make sure that we had one that was big enough to live in with us being new to all of this and us being used to having our own space. We wanted to make sure that it was big enough for us to live in, to get used to it, but that it was small enough to still be able to be allowed in most campgrounds. Because there is sometimes a feet limit on how long your camper can be, which we have run into a couple problems with even ours, which is 36 feet. There's like a max of 30, and then we have to pick a whole different campground. Oh, no kidding. I didn't even know that was the thing. Yeah, we didn't either until we like started looking and we're like, oh, wow, like a lot of campgrounds have certain sites for certain sizes. And then we were like, okay, so we want to make sure that we're right in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm guessing it's just to like help so you're not sticking out into like the, the driveway areas, right? Yeah. I think it's most common for a lot of state parks because they're trying to fit like as many campers in the state parks as possible. So if they have a small area, they make it for a small camp, camper, camping group. If they have a bigger area, like a pull through or something like that, then it's for the 40 to 40 plus people. So yeah, that's definitely something that we had to look at and we have to be mindful of is how long camp spot is and how long our camper is. So good thing to kind of keep in mind when, when you're kind of looking. And that kind of brings me to the next question, Lil, is, you know, I feel like van life and the nomadic life has really grown in popularity over the last like five, seven years. And there's a lot of people interested in getting into it, including myself. What are some things that you've learned over the course of this experience um, that you can share with listeners like me that are interested, but maybe they should consider before jumping in? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of things to consider. We have learned so much since living in our RV, and it's definitely stuff that we maybe should have thought about more. For instance, the feet thing, we never would have thought about until we actually started looking at them. I think the biggest thing is you have to think about your lifestyle. I am someone that loves throwing things away. I have very few things that have sentimental value to me. And those things have a lot of sentimental value, but I love getting rid of stuff. So moving into 
the RV, I was like, perfect. Get rid of everything. All of this <laughs> stuff in our full, we had a whole two bedroom apartment. I was like, get rid of all of it. I was just packing stuff <laughs> up. But a lot of people aren't like that. A lot of people have those little knickknacks that they carry around with them or have by their bed or have a collection of baseball hats or t-shirts or something. So it definitely depends on your lifestyle. We knew going into it that we would have too much stuff to live in a van because that was my first thing. I was like, let's move into a van. I think that would be so much fun. I think it would be the best. We can live wherever. My boyfriend was like, I cannot live in a van. I need my computers. I need my monitors. I need my work set up. It just won't work. And so I was like, okay, well, why don't we live in a camper? He's like, campers sway. Like if you go too fast, they sweat. He is better at explaining it than I am. But a fifth wheel just, it pulls so much easier than a camper. It's more attached all of that stuff. It doesn't have that like hinge in the middle where the truck meets the camper. The camper basically becomes the truck. At least that's how I look at it. So he didn't want a camper because he was worried about it swaying, the weight, all of that stuff. So then we moved up into an RV. I was like, okay, well, this is like, this is it. Either we get an RV or we're going back to like the house idea because I don't, I don't want to get something that you drive unless it's a van, like a motorhome. And so it really just depends on how you live your life. Can you be someone that's detached from your friends, your family, and move, you know, across the country for months at a time without really anybody else and making new friends? Are you somebody that can get rid of, you know, a lot of your stuff in order to fit into a confined space? It really just depends on what you can do. Or is it better to have that small house and have that apartment and be able to use the money and travel and fly places and do it that way? I mean, there are so many different ways to travel nowadays that I think it really depends. But also another big thing is is, is it worth to you spending the money on a newer used camper, a newer used truck, having a truck payment, having house quotation mark payment, we call our RV our house. So we think of the truck and the um, RV as a mortgage because together they realistically are because we bought them both brand new. So there's just a lot of things you have to think about. Do you want those extra payments? Do you want to get something used that you might have to fix? So yeah, there's just so much that you have to think about. And that's really just even touching the surface. I mean, I could go on for days about all of the things that we've learned (laughs) and all of the things that people should think about. But really, it was a big transition for us just having to budget more because, you know, you forget about the cost of campgrounds or the cost fluctuation of diesel or gas. So there's been multiple times that, you know, we have gotten to a campground and we're like, perfect. You know, we have, we budgeted out perfectly. And then we go to leave and go to go home and we're like, oh crap, we forgot to budget the diesel to get to the next place. And so then we stay, you know, a little bit longer because we forgot to budget that part. And so budgeting is our best friend. <laughs> we budget everything from dog food to diesel. So usually saves our butt a couple of times um, or has gotten us in trouble a couple times. So it definitely, there's so much to think about and we probably should have thought about it more. But like I said, we dove head first and never looked back and we're just learning on like as we go, all of the things. Um, So (laughs) trial by fire. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that's a really good point that you made because when I think of van life or or nomadic life, that's something that I never really considered is you're not going to have gas or diesel at the same price throughout the year. Like you can have the big sways where it's a dollar two dollars more and that really changes your budget and maybe even kind of limits you on how far you want to travel because knowing that you know you might have to pay a premium to reach that destination so that's a really good point to kind of consider yeah like for instance when we went home for christmas we're currently in tennessee the southern part of tennessee and down here diesel is four 20 something and over christmas we went back up to michigan it's like six dollars there still and we were like oh man we're like this is painful that's a huge difference yeah <laughs> and lil you you've had some amazing trips already since you've been on the road can you share with the listeners a little bit about some of the states that you've been able to visit and explore and is there a state that in particular stands out and what what about it stands out for you yeah so ever since i mean we moved in in may and we spent a couple months in michigan with our family kind of getting used to it, going through everything, making sure that what's in here we actually use and what we don't use leaves. And so we spent a couple months in Michigan in our RV before we actually like hit the road. 
road just to make the adjustment easier. And so we've been to Colorado, Kansas, we went to Massachusetts, Pennsylvania. We're currently in Tennessee right now. So it's definitely been a lot of traveling and it's been great. My favorite state so far is probably Colorado, um, just because I love the mountains. But then Massachusetts really exceeded some expectations. We went there in the fall and we hit like the perfect fall color time. And it was just as beautiful as Michigan. All of the leaves and, you know, it was right on the coast, which was really pretty. And so it was really great to be able to visit Massachusetts like right in the peak fall time. But then saying that we were at Colorado in September, at the end of September, and that was right when it was starting. So like fall was almost there. And so we still got a couple really pretty colors when we were there too. So those have probably been my two favorite states so far is those two. And is Colorado the furthest west you guys have been able to, to make it so far? Yeah, so far. We're hoping to go out to Montana and Washington State, or depending on when we're able to make it out west, we might head down south. Um, I have a friend who lives in Texas right now, and I keep trying to make a plan to go see him. It just feels so far away. I mean, I'm so used to the East Coast and the South is, it just seems so far away. So we just have to gear ourselves up and make the drive. Everything takes a little bit longer pulling the RV. So, you know, a three-day trip usually turns into like five-ish because we just like to extend everything out just to make sure we're not driving while we're tired, driving during any bad weather, stuff like that. We try to play it safe just because it's our whole house. Uh-uh, don't want anything to happen. So we're hoping to make it out to like Arizona and Texas or Montana and Washington. We'll see if we go north or south first, but we're hoping to head west by the end of 2023. And yeah, Texas, I mean, Texas on its own, I've only driven half of the state, but even that half, it just seems like it takes forever to, to cross it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's huge. And so he lives like in the middle of Texas too. So I'm like, oh man, it's like a whole two days just in Texas before we even get yeah. to you. I was like, why? Like, so big. <laughs> yeah, you don't really notice how big it is until you have to travel in yeah. it. Um, well, one thing that I've noticed, and, and you kind of already alluded to it, there seems to be a love for water. It, it kind of comes up on your Instagram feed from time to time, you know, whether it's lakes, springs, or even the coastline of, of the Northeast that you've been able to visit. Has there been a body of water that stands out above the rest that you've been able to visit during your travels? Not necessarily. I do love water. Being from Michigan, it's the Great Lakes state. So like I said earlier, there are mini lakes everywhere. All of the Great Lakes are beautiful. They all have their own characteristics. I'm just naturally kind of drawn to water. I mean, we lived in Florida for a while, so we went to the ocean almost every weekend. And then, yeah, in Massachusetts, we were almost right on the water. We were a mile away from the coast, so our campground was. Uh, we stayed in Salisbury, and our campground was literally a mile from the coast. So my mom went with us on that trip, and her and I would walk our two dogs to the coast like every afternoon, and it was beautiful. I I don't think there's a body of water that I love more. I love all of them, usually pretty equally. There's been a few hikes in Colorado where we have hiked up to a body of water and those are just stunning. I mean, it's so calm and peaceful up there. So those are the ones that usually stick in my mind because I don't see them all the time. But if I had to pick a favorite, I would probably pick Lake Michigan. Like I mentioned earlier, we go camping up North Michigan every year and we camp at Wilderness State Park and it's right on the water of Lake Michigan. And so I have so many great memories of that lake in particular and with family and friends and just yearly vacations. So just for memory's sake, probably like Michigan would have to be my absolute favorite body of water. I'll have to check out its Wilderness State Park. Yeah, it's usually really busy there. We have to book our reservations about six months in advance. And that's the earliest you can book is six months in advance. We go camping there every year. It, my grandpa and his family went camping there every year. It's like the Lewis family tradition. And so my grandma, when I was little, would stay on and be like on the wilderness like campground website back in the early days of the internet and <laughs> she would be on there like right at midnight and try like six months before trying to book a lakeside site and other people would be doing the same thing so it's sometimes tough to get a spot but then other years it's easier to get a spot but it's absolutely beautiful i highly recommend it wilderness state park is my absolute favorite they're so nice there it's a beautiful facility and they actually just redid all of it too so it's all brand new. Definitely have to keep that in mind. Yeah. Book out <laughs> six months in advance. Yeah. <laughs> 
you've touched base on this. And um, one thing that really caught my eye from your Instagram feed is that trip to um, the Northeast during the fall. Because, you know, when people think of fall, they think of the Northeast fall colors and how it just kind of explodes. How was it seeing the fall colors, I guess, in its peak season? And you also got to visit Salem during Halloween, which is a goal of mine. How was it seeing those fall colors? And then any advice that you would give to people that want to visit the Northeast during the fall um, season that they should kind of keep in mind when they're they're planning their trip? Yeah, so um, we went to Massachusetts in November, early October, early November. And our main goal was I was dying to go to Salem for Halloween. It's my favorite holiday. I absolutely love Halloween. And I've always been really into witch history, all of the witchy stuff. So I really wanted to go. I think when we bought the RV, we were headed home after signing paperwork. And I looked at my boyfriend. I was like, so since we have the RV now, can we go to Salem for Halloween? Um, my mom has always wanted to go too. So she came with us. And it was all of our first times to Salem and even to Massachusetts. And we stayed in Salisbury, which is the town, a couple towns over. And it was beautiful. I mean, I wasn't expecting to see all of the fall colors. In hindsight, I wish we would have planned more hiking. But really, we were just so focused on Halloween and Salem that we didn't do as much hiking as I originally had wanted. So if I go back, I would definitely pick a couple more hiking spots, plan a couple more hiking trips. But the couple small ones that I did were beautiful. We went to Newburyport and they had a bunch of small, you know, little state park areas, park areas that had hikes. And like I said, it was beautiful. The fall colors were stunning. Even, you know, it was just so much more foliage, whatever. (laughs) But there's so many leaves and so many different colors and beautiful trees that I'm not necessarily used to seeing. So the fall colors were beautiful. There was so much more yellow, I feel like, than we get in Michigan. Usually Michigan, I feel like we get a lot of red and orange, but there, there was so much yellow and still even some green, which blew my mind because it was, you know, November. Like I said, if I'm going to go back, I would plan some more hiking. I think everyone should go visit New Hampshire and Massachusetts in the fall. It should definitely be more of a destination because it's beautiful. I mean, especially along the coastline, we drove up the coastline and the fall colors on one side of the road and then the ocean on the other was beautiful. So I highly recommend it. I think everyone should visit the East Coast for the fall. Yeah. And I think you kind of timed it out perfectly because I think it was a it was a video that you posted, but it was very unique because the ground was covered in all the leaves, but then you still had leaves on the trees. So you were kind of just like immersed in all the colors. Oh yeah. There it was like the leaves were like consuming. The trees were still full, but then the ground was covered. And I was like, there's still like so much more fall here, but it already looks like it's been fall here for months, obviously. So it was beautiful. Yeah, I loved it. It was such a calming feeling. Fall is my favorite time of year. So hiking in the fall just like brings me so much calm. And so I loved hiking there. It was beautiful. I wish, like I said, I did more of it while I was there. But you did get to visit Salem during Halloween. And I kind of want to talk to you about that. How was it? Did it live up to, to what you expected Salem to be during the Halloween season? Yeah, so it was a lot of fun. It was packed. It was so crowded because we went the actual weekend of Halloween. In Salem, they celebrate Halloween every weekend for the whole month of October. They have vendors every weekend in their like Central Park area. All of the shops are open later. All of their tours, um, they have so many like trolley tours and walking tours. They, you know, extend their hours for those. I mean, it was awesome. We learned so much history, not only about the U.S. because Massachusetts holds a lot of history in itself. But then we learned so much history about, you know, the Salem witch trials and they had witch trials all over the world around that time. And Salem wasn't even the worst of it, come to find out. So it was really cool just learning so much history and just having everyone else there just as happy as we are that it's Halloween. (laughs) I mean, there were witch hats everywhere. (laughs) Everyone was dressed up every day. So it was just a lot of fun. The only downside was it was crowded. There were so many people there. We took our dog with us and he's used to crowds. He's used to all different kinds of environments. And even he was like, (laughs) okay, (laughs) this is a lot for me. A little overwhelmed. So we didn't take him every day, but he still had fun. And we still, you know, did all the things we wanted to do. We saw all the things we wanted to see. It was a lot of walking. Um, I know in one of your previous podcasts, you talk about urban walking and urban hiking. I would definitely count that. (laughs) Every day in Salem, we hiked or walked about 
like 13 miles just all around the whole place we saw everything we went from one end to the other multiple times i mean we just ran around all everywhere and saw everything so we just spent a whole week running around salem from end to end multiple times and it was a blast it was a lot of fun the whole town is shut down on the weekends i mean blocks of downtown is shut down and so it's just like a giant adult playground it was a lot of fun probably if you wanted to drive you can't even drive through there because everything's shut down yeah everyone parks on the outside side of town there's no way to drive through there's like one road to drive through and it was packed <laughs> like so much traffic so we always parked at the same parking lot and like walked into town like everybody else and you know it was perfect but it was crowded <laughs> it was very busy everyone else had the yeah. same idea but everyone was also very friendly so we didn't have too many problems with the crowd because everyone was just there to have a good time so that was definitely a good thing and, and you kind of um alluded to him but you have a very special <laughs> and handsome four legged family member who joins you on the road and on hikes. Can you share with the listeners a little bit about Little Man? Yes. So Little Man, he is my perfect little boy. He is a 72 pound liver spotted Dalmatian. So he has brown spots instead of black. He is therapy dog trained. Uh, My grandma does therapy dog certifications. So, you know, he was trained as a therapy dog so he can go into nursing homes and stuff like that. He is such a good boy. He goes everywhere with us. Like you said, he loves hiking. He loves walking through cities. He loves attention. He's not too much of a water dog, but in shallow rivers, he'll run around. But as soon as it gets up to his chest, he gets a little nervous because he doesn't (laughs) think he can swim. So he's definitely an interesting character, but he's the best. Such a good boy. Um, He gets a little bit of anxiety sometimes, but usually he just wants me to try and pick him up, which I can't because he's too big, but usually he just wants me to pick him up and cuddle him and then he's fine. So he's a very good boy. I love him. It's perfect. (laughs) If listeners get a chance please please check out lil's um instagram to see some great pictures of little man you got him as a puppy and he was i think there's a picture of him on your lap when you first got him and does he still kind of see himself as that lap dog even though he's now 72 pounds yes he does it's a funny story because we got him from or i got him from some family friends when i was in college and they just so happened to have dalmatian puppies and i got to pick him out at four weeks and i brought him home at nine when i picked him out she's like oh yeah he'll have quite a few spots. He'll be medium sized. His dad is like 60 pounds. His mom is 50 pounds. So he won't be too big. And then I went to pick him up. And I remember this day like so clearly because I was so excited. I couldn't sleep like that whole week um, because I was getting my own first puppy. I went to pick him up and they were all outside, all the puppies in like this little, you know, pen. And she points in the middle and she was like, it's the big one in the middle. And he was huge. (laughs) He had to weigh at least 20 pounds. And he looked, I'm sure a lot of people have seen the cartoon 101 Dalmatians. He was the fat one. I think his name's Rolly. He was the one that's always like, I'm hungry, mother. I'm hungry. That was him. I looked there. I was like, you're joking, right? And she was like, oh, no, he's the big one. He always like, he'll sit in the food bowl and he'll won't let anyone else get it. And then he will eat it all as he's laying in it. I was like, fantastic. Like, can I pick a different one? Are you sure that one's yeah. mine? <laughs> like, I didn't plan on him being that big. And yeah, he took up my whole lap. Um, the picture you're talking about is on our way home after picking him up. Uh, my friend went with me and she took the picture because he just cried in the back seat. So I pulled over and I put him in my lap. It was only a couple miles to home and he was huge. I mean, and then he just kept growing and growing and, you know, he hit 60 pounds by the time he was like, I mean, nine months old. And I was like, please stop growing. <laughs> please stop. I like, you weren't supposed to get this big. And then he just kept getting bigger and bigger. And all of my vets said that he's the biggest Dalmatian they've ever seen. It's oh, not like wow. he's fat or anything. He's just tall and long. He's a giant rectangle. I measured him like um, a couple months ago from Mm -hmm. the floor to like his shoulder and from, you know, his nose to the edge of his tail. And he's literally a giant rectangle. Like he's the same distance high as he is long. Oh, no kidding. Giant rectangle. Yeah. He's a big boy. And I had a name picked out for him and I always just called him Little Man. So that's what he responds to. And I ended up having to change his name because he doesn't listen to anything else. So now he's the Little Man. He's the big Little little Man. man. (laughs) (laughs) He does have his own Instagram too. He's much more popular than I am. (laughs) But yeah, he's a very goofy boy. He's a very good boy. And I absolutely love him. (laughs) He's a good looking 
Duncan Doggan, like you said, from the pictures, he doesn't look big, but like once he gets like next to you or like there's some something you can kind of base his size, he's like, okay, he's like you said, not fat or anything. He's just a large dog, but proportional. He's very tall. He's just, he, his legs just kept growing and he went through a really awkward puppy stage where his, his ears and his legs grew faster than the rest of him. So I have a couple like awkward teenage photos of him and like his ears, like each ear is the size of his face. And then like he has this little body and this little tail and these long legs and big paws. He's a very awkward teenage dog. <laughs> but he had to grow into him. Out. Yeah, he proportioned <laughs> out. So. <laughs> oh, we'll definitely include Little Man's Instagram so people can check him out as well. <laughs> now, Lil, on, on this journey that you've had on the road, has there been a memorable hike that kind of sticks out above the rest and kind of what made it special doing that hike itself? Yeah, so there is one hike that is always what I compare every other hike to. It wasn't necessarily done in the last year. It was done a couple of years ago. At the time, I had a broken arm and, you know, we went out to Colorado just as like a pick-me-up. I had a broken arm. I ended up having to get surgery on it and I was very down. I couldn't really do all of the things that I wanted to do. Um, it was my right arm and I'm right arm dominant. So, I mean, I couldn't do anything. I could barely even like feed myself because I had to use my left hand to like pick up a fork. You never realize like how bad you are at using your non-dominant hand until you can't use your dominant <laughs> hand at all. <laughs> So I broke my arm and I was very down. Um, I had to take time off work. I couldn't do anything. So my boyfriend planned for us to spend a week in Colorado and we wanted to do some hiking, but we didn't want it to be like too extreme because I had a cast. And so we planned this hike. Um, it was the Booth Lake Trail out near Vail, Colorado. And when we looked, the all trails map told us that it was like, I can't remember exactly. I think it said it was like three and a half, four miles, an easy to moderate hike or something like that. And then there was a waterfall. And so we were like, okay, well, we'll just take it easy. We'll spend the whole day. Like, we'll be very careful. And so we went out. There were some hikers in front of us and we heard them talking. Oh, the waterfall's up here. And then it's another like five miles. We're like, what are they talking about? Like, we thought it was only to the waterfall. And so we asked them and the whole hike, like from start to end, um, it was an out and back and they told us that the whole hike is 10 miles and going up the mountain, they like told us what to look up in all trails. And we looked it up and like the whole mountain up at the top, there was a lake, beautiful lake surrounded by mountains in this dome. And so we got up to the waterfall and we were like, oh, like, should we go? Like, should we do it? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Like I have a broken arm. <laughs> like if I fall, I'm screwed. We like sat at the waterfall for a while. And then me being very outgoing and was like, let's do it. Like, screw <laughs> it. Let's hike another like six miles up to this lake so we ended up doing it and it probably wasn't the best decision but it was my most memorable hike because it was beautiful i mean along the whole way it was gorgeous the waterfall was stunning we went through like a valley of fields and wildflowers the whole last mile was switchbacks and it was basically straight up and <laughs> i'm the type of hiker where like if i get close i'll just push myself harder to make it go by faster and all of a sudden like my boyfriend was behind me and he's like maybe we should stop for a second like i need to take a breath and as soon as i stopped i felt really light headed and I was like I need to sit down and we ended up having to sit there for like a half hour because I couldn't get rid of this lightheaded feeling once I stopped and I kept telling myself, I was like, I have to keep going. Like, we're so close. Like, I don't care about anything else. It's like, I'm not hiking <laughs> nine miles and be able to see where like the lake dome is. Cause it was in like, it was on top of the switchback and then in this dome of mountains. And I was like, I did not hike all this way to not make it to the top. <laughs> so we sat there and then eventually we kept going and we stopped a lot during the switchbacks, but we made it and we sat up there for like two, three hours and it was gorgeous. I mean, it was so worth the struggle getting up there and then going back down. My boyfriend went ahead of me and he like grabbed my hand for like every step to make sure that I didn't fall and re-break my arm. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> and so it's my most memorable hike because it was so unexpected. And yeah, there were some hiccups along the way, but it was just so beautiful. And so I compare every other hike to that one because it just had so many unexpected things happen. And even the end was a beautiful, unexpected view that we weren't really planning on having. So, And I think we've all been in there Lil where all trails kind of leads us astray um, a little bit and I think you're right you know some, some of the more memorable hiking experiences for, for me and maybe others is some of those unexpected ones where you do have that choice on the hike where like maybe I should turn back but I'm so close let me just do it yeah yeah and you know sometimes it pays off sometimes it doesn't but 
it, it becomes a memorable experience along the way. And the place that you describe, it, it sounds unbelievable. Do you think maybe the the elevation kind of caused some of the lightheadedness once you started kind of climbing up into the mountains? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's just because I was pushing myself so hard. And once I did stop, I could feel, it's horrible to say, it, but I could feel my arm like pulsing in the cast oh. because I was just like, I was so dead set and determined to make it up to the top that I was just like going and going. And then as soon as I stopped, I was like, maybe I should have slowed down. Like maybe I shouldn't have <laughs> ran up this mountain trying to get it done like as fast as I could before I noticed. Because my idea yeah. was like, if I do it fast, then I won't notice anything else. Like I won't notice the elevation. Gotcha. And <laughs> It was such a like not smart thing to think about, but that was my mindset. I was like, if I just do it and get it done, it's done. And then we're there and it'll be beautiful. And I definitely should have taken my time, but it's it makes for a great story. So No, definitely, definitely. <laughs> kind of touching base on on summits and, and end of the hike routines. I feel like some hikers have a, a summit ritual or a end of the hike routine that they do. Maybe it's a favorite snack or meal, possibly some trail brews or even a moment of Zen. Do you have a regular custom that you do when you reach your destination or maybe once you make it back out? Yeah. So um, especially in Colorado with it being an out and back most of the time, I feel like as soon as we get to either the end or the lake or whatever, we're hiking towards the summit. Usually we just, you know, end up laying down and drinking some water and just taking in all the views. A lot of our hikes end up having like a body of water at the end or, you know, something to gaze at. So like it, with the lakes, we always jump in. If it's just like, you know, the summit, then usually we sit back and I love Nature Valley. I love all of their granola bars and stuff. So usually that's like a must pack of some Nature Valley snacks or some some kind of granola. So usually we make it there and then we stop and we eat, drink some water, take our pictures, jump in the lake, whatever. I wouldn't say every single one has the same ritual. I think it kind of depends on what we're hiking towards and how long it's going to take. But usually we, you know, lay down and have a snack or sometimes a nap depending on how long it is <laughs> nice. so i wouldn't say it's the same every time but definitely snacking is my highlight of going that's on the trails and getting to an end <laughs> oh that's great and kind of following up with that you mentioned that you always pack nature valley or some sort of granola when it does come to your pack list low what would you consider to be your most valuable piece of hiking gear that you do pack definitely our water pouch we always make sure our backpacks um have a space for our water pouch. I feel like it's so much easier to carry than, you know, the generic water bottles or thermos um, mugs. We usually bring bottles of water with us as well, but I definitely don't go on a hike without our water pouch that we fill and are able to drink out of as we're hiking. So that's water is definitely my number one thing that I make sure we bring. Is there a particular brand that you, you enjoy using? I can't remember the particular brand that we use. I believe it's some kind of festival brand. We like to do a lot of festivals as well. And we think of festivals as hiking. <laughs> just because, you know, they are usually in an open, big open space. So I believe the one that we have right now is some kind of festival brand. It's two and a half liters. That's usually the minimum size that we get is usually two and a half, three liters. So I can't remember the actual brand name. I know that there's a ton of different brands out there, but any kind of water pouch is always like the highest of our list. We buy a couple extras every year just in case they get holes in them or we forget to clean them out. <laughs> um, but yeah. Throughout all your, your hikes and travels, Lil has there been any close calls, whether it's, you know, getting lost or nearly getting lost, maybe an unexpected wildlife encounter, or maybe Mother Nature threw, threw you a curveball? Have you had any of those experiences on the road or on hikes? Yeah, so we've had a couple different Mother Nature incidents, either with massive storms or unexpected rain, and we ended up getting soaked. When we lived out in Pennsylvania, before we bought the camper, we would go hiking there, and all of a sudden it would rain. It would be bright, sunny skies, and all of a sudden it would rain. And so we got wet a couple times out there. There's been a, also a couple times where we've gone on hikes and have gotten lost. It's been a couple times, especially like the trails up in northern Michigan. We would be hiking and hiking and all of a sudden it would look not like we were on a 
trail anymore. And like, are we going the right way? And then we would have to pull up all trails and find our trail. And then we'd realize, oh, we're like miles off trail. <laughs> we have to hike back. So yes, there have definitely been some times where we've either mother nature or ourselves have gotten us astray. That all trails, I feel like I wish there was a way that hikers could update the trail as they're they're on it. Because sometimes, like you said, things deviate and you think you're on the trail, but you might not be on the official trail. So I wish there were, they did do that where you can update it as you go. I agree. There's been a couple times where like we thought we were on the all trails trail and all of a sudden we're not. And then we have to go find where we're at and how to get back. <laughs> now for, for first time hikers that are interested in getting into hiking uh, this year, what advice would you have for, for someone that's getting started so they have a safe and rewarding experience on the trails? I would just make sure that you, you know, have a backpack that can hold water, a couple snacks, because I feel like when I started hiking, we would just bring, you know, mostly just water. If you go on a trail and you end up getting lightheaded for any number of reasons, I have found for me that having a snack like a granola bar or an apple or something like that really brings me like back a little bit. That's just me personally. So for any first time hikers, I would definitely make sure that they have a backpack that can hold, you know, water, a couple small snacks, a map of some kind, whether it's all trails. I know a couple people that hike with just paper maps or like hiking trail maps and stuff like that. So just like for me, make sure that you have like, you know, the couple things depending on how long your hike is. And then also just make sure that you're not over hiking. Like if a new hiker plans on doing a summit hike, that's, you know, 6,000 feet in elevation and all switchbacks, they might not have a great experience. (laughs) But just make sure that, you know, the hike you're going on matches the level that you are or the endurance level that you have. I mean, me, myself, I've, you know, planned on these awesome summit hikes and have done no cardio ahead of time and I get halfway up the mountain and I'm like okay this was a bad idea and I have to turn around because I just don't I'm not in shape for it but then there's been a couple times where I do a hike and I was like oh I could have done more so just start small and work your way up you know all of them are different and it really also depends on what state you're in but just make sure that the hike that you're doing matches the level that you're at and you don't overdo it because if you overdo it you're not going to have as good of an experience as you know underdoing it and then wanting to go back out. So that would be my advice. No, solid advice, Lil. I, I've mentioned it on a previous episode, but the first hike I ever went on, my buddies took me on this, I'll call it disgusting hike because <laughs> it was 3,000 feet of elevation gain and it was just straight up. There wasn't any switchbacks yeah. and there was like three or four false summits and I was like, if this is hiking, I have, I don't want any part of it. Yeah. <laughs> and it took me a couple of years to kind of get back into it. Yeah, so yeah exactly. definitely pick the right hike for the yeah. first one. <laughs> I've had a couple of friends that, you know, especially the Booth Lake Trail that I mentioned earlier, we went on that and a couple of my friends was like, that looks beautiful. Like we should all plan a trip and we should all go. And they're my friends that have never hiked a day in their life. Like they don't do that. And I was like, you know, maybe we should, maybe we should start small because even that was a little bit too much for me, especially with a broken arm. But I told him, I was like, maybe we should start small and work our way up because you will not have a good time if that is your first (laughs) hike. I promise. (laughs) We just started 2023 and, and you kind of already mentioned it little some of the the travel and hiking goals that you have but for for this year what hiking goals do you have and then also what travel goals do you have for the the upcoming year yeah so this year um we are actually are planning a trip to colombia south america so we're gonna go out there and do some hiking out there my boyfriend is moving there for work for about three months and so while little man will not be able to make the trip just because it is listed as a high rabies and so getting Mm -hmm. dogs in and out of that country is a little tricky so he will not be attending. So I will be going for a couple weeks at a time while my boyfriend is there. And little man will stay with my mom, which is his best <laughs> friend of all time, is my mom. But I will be going and my boyfriend will be there. And we have a couple hikes picked out there. We're going to the capital of Colombia and it is right along a giant mountain range that looks like it has some beautiful hiking there. So that's one of the biggest ones. We're very excited for that. But then when he gets back, we're planning to go either to Montana or Arizona. We can't mm-hmm. decide which part of the out west we want to go to if it's the northern or southern we definitely will hopefully skip out of winter next year (laughs) because we are not snow people
people necessarily. I like the heat. I like it to be at least moderate. So we're hoping to go either to Montana or Arizona next year or this year. I guess it's already 2023. But yeah, so we don't have any hard set plans other than Columbia. And then when he comes back, we'll, you know, really dive into where we want to go. State we want to go to for Washington and Arizona are both very high up on my list. I just have to decide which one I want to go to first. So I still have some decisions to make, but hopefully in the next like two months or so, we'll have some plans set. Right on. And when I when I think of Columbia, there's one, and I guess you can call it a hike. Um, I don't know if it's on your list um, to do, but forgot the name, but it's a giant rock that they've kind of built some stairs that leads to the top and it's surrounded by different lakes. Is that something that might be on your list? Yeah, I think I've looked at that one, actually. It sounds familiar. And I've looked at so many. I mean, I we found out a couple months ago that his work wants to send him there for a couple months. And I've looked at so much. I mean, so many different hiking, so many different um, tourist quotation mark things, but it looks so beautiful. And even the hiking aside, it looks like it just has so much culture there and so many different, you know, avenues to explore. I mean, there's the ocean on one part of it. There's the mountain on the other part of it. Um, There's some beautiful countries around it. And so the possibilities are endless. And so I have just been shoveling this stuff into my brain of all the different things we can do and all the different hikes we can do. But yeah, I'm definitely excited for all of it. I mean, I'm going to take in as much as I can while I'm there. Definitely. No, it sounds like it's going to be an amazing time down there. And and I look forward to seeing some of the pictures that you share online of your visits and and some of the hikes that you do. Well, that was the the end of the regular questions. This next portion of the podcast is the this or that questions, which I'm going to give you two options, all hiking related, and you kind of just choose the one that fits you. Sound good? Sounds great. Here we go. So the first one is ascending or descending? Ascending. Waterfalls or summits waterfalls and switchbacks or straight up definitely switchbacks trek poles or freehand usually freehand and do you fill up before a hike or do you fuel up after fuel up after and how about bushwhacker go around usually i go around and do you jump in or do you stay dry jump in 100 jump in <laughs> <laughs> and sunsets or sunrises sunsets not a huge morning person so <laughs> sunsets mm. definitely <laughs> uh, spring flowers or fall colors fall colors And do you tag a hike or do you not tag a hike? I think it depends. Usually I tag a hike, but if it's an overly popular place, usually I kind of just tag the area. Gotcha. Try and save as much of it as I can, but I think it really depends. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Lil, for for joining me today on this episode of the podcast. For listeners that want to follow you on uh, social media or online, what are some of the the places they can find you and Little Man as well? Yeah, so Little Man's Instagram is just a dog named little man he only has instagram um so if you type in a dog named little man i believe he's the only dalmatian that will come up and the only dog named little man there's a couple dog named so and so but he only has an instagram i have Pinterest, tiktok a facebook page all of that stuff and all of them are at the good flaw i'm currently working on a blog to write down all our adventures in so that is in the works it should be out in the next month or so other than that that's really all the places you can find me all of them are a little different all of them are about traveling and the adventures that we're on so right on well we'll make sure to um, include those in the episode notes so people um, can find you but yeah thank you once again for joining me on the podcast today really love talking about your travel experiences and and your hiking experiences and i'm definitely going to add salem to the list for 2023 as a visit highly recommend it and thank you so much for having me i love talking about all of our travels and sharing it with everybody so i was really excited when i got to be on your show appreciate you you sharing your story really loved hearing it thanks Lil. yeah thank you so much thank you once again to Lil for joining us on this episode of the hikes and mikes podcast be sure to follow her on instagram at the good flaw to keep up with her latest adventures you can also find her across other social media platforms using the same handle at the good flaw links in the episode notes Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Hikes and Mikes podcast. We'll be putting out new episodes every week through the fall and winter. Be sure to like and subscribe to not miss out on those. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Hikes and Mikes. Catch you on the next one. This episode's music was created by Ketza. Follow him on Instagram at Ketza Music.
This episode is brought to you by Flip Socks. Whether you're on the trail, on the job, or in the yard, Flip Socks will keep Mother Nature out of your boots with their innovative nylon sleeve. You no longer need to worry about any annoying debris getting trapped in your boots during your hikes. Simply flip down the nylon sleeve over any boot to prevent Mother Nature from finding its way inside, keeping your feet comfortable all day long. To get your first pair, visit FlipSocksWithAZ.com and enter promo code HIKESMIKES10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. And for listeners who use the promo code at checkout, I'll be donating 100% of the Season 2 promo code proceeds to Big City Mountaineers, who provide transformative experiences through connections to nature that strengthen life skills and build community for youth and disinvested communities across the nation. So if you're tired of bits and pieces of the trail finding its way into your hiking boots, pick up a pair of flip socks today with the promo code HIKESMIKES10 to get 10% off. For website and promo code, see the episode description. 